I tell you, I wish I could be here every Sunday. I love being here. This is a great place to worship and a great place to do God's service. Amen? Amen. I'm glad you're all here this morning, and, and I'm just thankful that I get the opportunity to come and visit you every once in a while. So uh, uh, thank you for letting me come. I have been amazed. I've been here at times when, when I didn't have to preach, and, uh, or didn't get to preach, actually, and, and, I've, and I'm absolutely amazed at Kurt's ability to hold his notes and his Bible in his hand and not fall down. You know, <laughs> I, I can't do that. I got to have something holding some of this stuff. I got too much stuff to juggle and then to talk and to move at the same time. I can't do it all. So uh, thank you, uh, Jimmy, for getting me a stand up here to, to hold all this stuff in. I want to talk to you today about two military stories, okay? Now, I know this is Labor Day. We're supposed to be talking about the values of labor and, and, uh, and, and celebrating labor. I'll tell you, for me, Labor Day is just a day to labor. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, uh, I'll be out there tomorrow picking grapes just like I was yesterday. So uh, that's, uh, that's what I do on Labor Day, folks. But, uh, but uh, I have two military stories I'd like to talk to you about today. First one, is about a military uh, situation, let's say, that happened in America. You've heard of Air Force's high, top-secret base in uh, Nevada called Area 51. You've heard of that? Okay, well, late one afternoon, the Air Force folks out at Area 51 were very surprised to see a Cessna a little single-engine single plane landing at their secret base. They immediately impounded the aircraft and hauled the pilot into an interrogation room. The pilot's story was that he took off from Vegas, got lost, spotted this landing strip, and was about out of gas when he decided to land. Well, the Air Force started a full FBI investigation into this guy and checked the pilot out and make him, they held him overnight and during the investigation, uh, they found out that he was telling the truth. <laughs> he, he ran out of gas. <laughs> and so uh, after, uh, after they gave him a nice talking to about, you know, you really didn't see a base here, and uh, we can arrest you if you say anything that you see, uh, they gassed up his plane, told him that Vegas was uh, such and such direction heading, and, uh, and sent him on his way. Well, uh, the next day, the folks at Area 51 were absolutely shocked when here comes this little Cessna again and landed at the same airport again on the, on the base. And uh, before they could, of course, they surrounded the plane with, with, their, with their guns and their equipment. And before they could do anything, the, the pilot jumped out of the plane and said, you can do whatever you want to with me, but you you got to tell my wife, who was in the plane, what happened to me last night. <laughs> so, the moral of that military story, folks, is, men, tell your wives what you're doing. <laughs> tell them where you're going, and, 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 and don't, leave them, don't leave them all night wondering what's going on. The second military story I'd like to tell, talk to you about this morning is out of the Bible. We're going to take a look this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 7. 
Luke chapter 7, we're going to look at a captain in the uh, uh, Roman army, which at that time was called a centurion, all right? Now, this centurion is an amazing person. Let me read for you the story of the Roman centurion. Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. When Jesus had finished saying all this in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. There, a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant shall be healed. For, my, for I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. And that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, and turned to the crowd following him. He said, I tell you, I have not found such a great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Now, let me tell you first of all that in all of the Bible, from front to back, in all of Jesus' earthly ministry, only one person ever got praised for their faith. And that man was this centurion. Jesus was the most impressed with the faith of a non-believer, an outsider, than he was with any of the people of Israel, ever. Now let's look at this guy's faith and see what made him different, because he was different. There's no doubt about it. This guy was different. And his faith was different as well. There were five things about his faith, five things that if we could do the same thing, we would have an amazing faith for Christ. The first thing I want you to see in this story is that his faith was bigger than his prejudice. His faith was bigger than his prejudice. You know, the Bible is full, and actually history is full of of recorded incidents where Roman soldiers, Roman citizens downgraded Jewish, Jewish people. Fact of the matter is, that attitude was prevalent all the way up through World War II when Mussolini, an Italian from Rome, helped Hitler kill six million Jews. The prejudices that people have will hinder your faith. And God will test you on this. Let me tell you a story. One time, I was young. I was, I was, I was young in the ministry. Actually, I hadn't even started in, started in the ministry. I was actually studying to go to seminary, getting ready to go to seminary, uh, studying, doing a home study thing. 
while I was working full time and and uh, and I was you know was getting ready to go to uh, you know my desire was to go into full time ministry, and uh, and I was working for a bricklayer brick brickyard company a brick company, and uh, and I had a a company truck I was driving. This company truck had no semblance of Christian. Uh, ideology on it at all. It had a, had a bumper to the sticker that said uh, Chattanooga Bar and Grill. had a Harley, big Harley Davidson sticker in the back window. Uh, two or three other uh, stickers on it that had something to do with, with bars and drinking. And it, it was a company truck, so I drove it, you know. Uh, and, uh, uh, one, and I had this, you know, I grew up with this preconceived notion. You know, when you grow up in the Midwest like we do, you get these ideas in your head, you know, and you see people that, that don't fit your mold. You've, you've had people like that. Uh, and you kind of just build up a, a prejudice toward them. And I had, I had uh, I've always wore short hair. Uh, I've always wore a beard. But I've always kept it neat and trimmed. And, and, and I struggled with long-haired people that, that were not clean and, you know, just... I, I just didn't want to have anything to do with them. Well, one day I was uh, uh, out. It was a day off. No, it was, I was actually getting ready to go to, go, uh, to work that day. And, uh, and you know, I'm, I'm hopping out on the, inter, on, the, on the highway, the main highway there, and, and I'm headed down the way, and here's this grody-looking guy. Long-haired, looked like he hadn't had a bath in two weeks, uh, you know, and uh, and carrying a uh, a backpack, and I, at that time I really didn't spend a lot of time picking, you know, looking at those people or picking them up. And but for something some odd odd reason, I stopped to pick this guy. He was hitchhiking, so I stopped, picked him up. So uh, so I I he threw his his backpack in the back of the truck. He hopped in the tr- in the front of the truck, which is a Chevy Love. It's a little truck. You know, you're you're kind of close together here. And as uh, soon, soon as he hopped in the truck, he looked at me and he said, Praise the Lord, brother, how you doing? And I thought, wow, how can this guy be a Christian? <laughs> and, uh, you know, we talked, we talked about, uh, and he, what, what he was doing was uh, he had started a hitchhiking ministry. And he was out trying to witness to people as he got picked up. And he was headed to somewhere in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, and... Uh, from, from, you know, northern Indiana where I was at. And so uh, uh, I, got, I got as far as where I needed to turn off to go to work, and it was kind of the rest of the way was out of his way. And, and uh, uh, so, uh, so I dropped him off in, in this little town, and I saw him when I, you know, out of the corner of my eye, when I dropped him off, he picked up his, his, his backpack, and he walked over to the ice cream stand at the little store where, you know, at the little corner where I, where, where we, where I was close to where I live. So I saw him go to the ice cream stand. Actually, it was the end of the day, and I was going home. So when I got, when I got home, I was telling my wife about this guy, you know, uh, weird, long-haired, kind of stinky. Uh, but he knew the Lord, and my wife said, well, did you give him any money? Well, no, I didn't. Well, did you pray with him? Well, no, I didn't. Well, did he say where he had, did he have a place to go? Well, no, I don't, I don't think he did. 
Well, maybe we should invite him back for dinner. Oh, that's an idea. So I jumped in the truck and I headed right back down to, you know, just a few miles to the, to the, to the ice cream stand. I knew he'd still be there because not many people were going to give this guy a lift, I thought. So I got to the ice cream stand and he wasn't around. And I thought, surely he didn't get it right already. And I looked and I, I'll, I'll ask the gal at the ice cream stand because it's only been 10 minutes. And so I, I looked at her and I said, look, I said, I came through here just a few minutes ago uh, and there was a guy that got out of my truck and came over here and talked to you. And she said, well, I remember when you go by because that yellow Chevy Love is easy to recognize, and especially with the Harley Davidson sticker in the back. He said, she said, but nobody got out of your truck. I said, yeah. She said, no, nobody got out of your truck, and nobody came up here to talk to me. I'm telling you, God will test your prejudice. From that point on, I learned not to talk bad about anybody with long hair. God will test your prejudice. Maybe you have a thing about people who smell. Maybe you have a thing about people who don't have a, as great of intelligence as you. Maybe you have a thing about black people. Maybe you have a thing about men. Maybe you have a thing about women. Maybe you have a thing about kids. God will test your prejudice. And this centurion put away his prejudices and embraced the Jewish faith. Jesus was impressed with this guy first because his faith was bigger than his prejudice. The second thing that I see here in the, in the centurion's faith was that his faith was smarter than his knowledge. Now, this is early in Jesus' uh, earthly ministry. He's, you know, he's turned the water into wine. He's cast a demon out of a, out of a guy in the synagogue. Uh, he's uh, he's uh, uh, been preaching to, five, to, to several people on the, on the hillside, uh, the Beatitudes. Uh, he's he's uh, showed the disciples his power by uh, filling their boats to the sinking point with fish after they, after they had tried all night. He'd healed several people, but this centurion hadn't seen any of that. You know, there were other people who had seen what he'd done. There were other people who had seen the miracles. There were other people who had heard what authority he had and that he, that he was such a, pre a great preacher. This man hadn't seen anything of that. His knowledge of Jesus is just what other people had heard. Yet he had the faith to believe that Jesus could heal his servant. Now, this centurion was probably different than most Roman centurions of the day. Roman centurions of the day typically, by and large, hated Jews. They hated uh, being where they were assigned to in Israel. It was a dirty, dry, dusty place, and these people were all just religious fanatics, and they just didn't want to have anything to do with, this, uh, with, with these people. Uh, this man had decided he had learned his faith He'd understood that there was one true God. And he had faith in that one true God. And he had the faith to believe in Jesus, even though he hadn't seen anything of him yet. His faith was smarter 
than his knowledge. If you'd like to be to have Jesus impressed with your faith, you have to have a faith that is smarter than your knowledge. You know, God puts us in places every day where we can witness to others. Every day you will come across somebody who doesn't know Christ. And God is looking for you to say something to that person. I can't talk about that. I don't know enough. I haven't read my Bible enough. I can't say anything. God will give you the words to say. Look it up in Matthew chapter 10. God's looking for somebody with a faith smarter than their knowledge. The third thing that this man had, he had a faith more humble than his position. Now, if we were to look at his position today, he would be probably a captain in the the, uh, Roman army, okay? Which would mean that he had people above him, and he had to follow orders, and he had people below him. And he could give orders. So his position was kind of, you know, it was one of authority, but he wasn't the top dog. And even though he was a man of position and a man of means, he approached Jesus with a humble attitude. If you look real closely there, he didn't even approach Jesus. He sent Jewish servants, Jewish friends to go out and talk to Jesus about this one slave. Now, in the in Roman era of the time, slaves were expendable. You could, you, they were a dime a dozen. They were, they were just above the chickens I got in the chicken yard. That's what they were, just a little above the chickens. So if one got sick and one died, oh, well, there's more of them to take his place. So this guy was different in the first fact that he cared about his servant. Some scholars say that this was a servant that led to a, faith, a saving faith in the one true God. May have been. But it was amazing that he cared to begin with. And it was amazing that he was humble in his approach to Christ. He sent others in his stead because he didn't feel worthy to talk to Christ. You know, I have seen... Uh, over the years, I've, I've been in a lot of different churches, and I've, and I've heard a lot of different people preach. And one of the things that, that I've heard a lot of, um, and I seem to hear more and more of it these days, is this name it and claim it. You heard that? You know, you're a child of the king. You have, you have position. You're a joint heir with Christ. All you have to do is name it and claim it, and God is obligated to give it to you. I'm telling you, folks, God is not obligated to give us anything. Not the first thing. My clothes are filthy rags compared to the righteousness of Christ. And this man, his faith was better than his position. He understood that to, to, to get Christ to do anything, you've got to have a humble and contrite heart. You have to come to Jesus in humbleness, and Christ will reward you openly. His faith was more humble than his position. The fourth thing that I see here in, in this man's faith was that he assumed Now, we've come to a place in America where we don't 
assume anything. You know what it means to assume things, right? We don't do that. His faith assumed that Christ would do it for him. He didn't have any doubts. He just knew. His faith assumed Christ's ability to heal. God wants our faith to assume that Christ will respond to a respectful and earnest plea. You really want Christ to move in your behalf? You have a sick loved one? You have a financial situation? You have a problem with the house? You got a tractor that constantly breaks down? I got one of them. God can move if you will just believe and assume that God will move. You know, uh, it's amazing to me to look at this situation. Here's a guy who is a, he's a, a person of means. Uh, you know, he's got some money. He's got some position. He's got some power. His servant is sick. What's the first thing a guy like that would usually do? Well, he'd call up his buddy, the doctor, and say, Hey, doc, I got a servant here that's about dead. Can you come over? No, that's not what he did. Well, he gathered some friends around and, and asked the friends what to do. No, that's not what he did. He assumed that Christ was the answer, and he went to him first. What would our lives be today if we had the kind of faith that when something arose, some problem developed, the first thing we went to was God? Wouldn't that be amazing? God, the tractor won't start. Hey, I'm not saying it'll happen every time, but I think it's a good place to start. Assume that Christ can fix your situation. The fifth thing I see in this man's faith, his faith was more confident in Christ's ability than in conventional wisdom. He didn't do what logically the first thing to do would have been. He acted on what he knew Christ could do. His faith was more confident in Christ's ability than in the doctors of the day or the friends of the day or the, or the people of the day. This man had a faith that was big, it was smart, it was humble, it was assuming, and it was confident in Christ's ability to answer his prayer. But the amazing thing about it all is that it all began with a relationship with Christ. All of this is possible for us, but none of it will happen unless we know Jesus.